Hello and welcome to episode number 199, Armin Show Podcast. We are in the place to be on this episode. We have a guest. Who is our guest today? Hi, uh, my name is Yosef. It's a pleasure to meet you, Armin. This is, uh, this is a really impromptu podcast. It's fun. Yes. I like it. I'm a big fan of impromptu, and that's my, one of my, my three favorite words are spontaneous, and then fearless, and then... Uh, like non-contextual. That's three key things to me. I'm experiencing all of those things all right of now. Those That's things awesome. Right now. <laughs> Actually, right off of that, what are three words you identify with, like descriptive words? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I think a big one for me is consciousness. Uh, because consciousness is all about what our perception, what our state of mind is, and I think it affects everything else in our life. Another big one is individuality, mm -hmm. the, or rather individuation, more than individuality. The individuation is our drive to find out what is unique about ourselves, our purpose, and what value we add to the world. So that's another big one for me. And the third one is connection, because after we create that individuation, it's how we connect to other people and share that value with others. So, what do they say? Consciousness, consciousness individuation, individuation, and connection. Those are cool. I highly value connection with uh, people who are, they have thoughts that they want to express. And then individuation, that one's very specific. And that is specific to what you specifically do. Yes. That's a nice feature. It's curious yeah. for me. Well, how does that connect and... How do you promote individuation in what you do, thus leading us to what you do? <laughs> Inform us about such. No, well, that's an interesting question, right? Because so often, like, especially here in Los Angeles, you go around and you meet people in different places. And one of the first questions they ask you is, what do you do? What do you do that's for often, work? often, right? Right? It just jumps out every time. It's, what's your name? And then after that, it's, then what do you do? Sometimes, And, like, yeah. what's your job? And people say, well, I'm a real estate agent. Right. You know? I'm that. Huh? I'm that, you know. That's I'm that, like, exactly. Yeah. We, li we like to label ourselves on, wh on what we do. Right. So it's funny. So some people might call me a life coach or a business consultant right. or all kinds of things like that. I don't really like to identify with any of those things specifically. And that's part of the concept of what individuation is all about. Individuation isn't about what you do. It's about who you are. Right. So for me, there's this quote that I really like that sort of sums it up. Here comes a quote, everybody. <laughs> you guys ready? This is how it goes, more or less. I'm paraphrasing. Uh -huh. It's the day that you were born was the day that God decided that the universe could not continue without you. I'll repeat that because oh. it's powerful. The day you were born was the day that God decided that the universe cannot continue without you. And I literally believe that. I think that each one of us has a unique value that we bring, a unique problem that we solve that nobody else can solve, the unique value that nobody else can bring. Right. That there's something unique about us and our life experience and everything that's brought us to a certain point that we can add to others that nobody else can. Right. And the problem is when we label ourselves as our job, right. then we limit ourselves into that same category of a million other people who do that same job. Right. However, when we recognize what, who it is that we are, there's not one other person who is the same. Right. So I don't know if I like to put myself in this specific category, mm -hmm. but there's a problem that I like to help solve for people, and it's to help them find their individuation, to help them find their unique path to create the universe that they want for themselves. I want to jump in. I'm very with this concept because I sometimes think about this in most things that are done it's like you have you and oh, thank you you have like you as yourself and 
when you start to fill in to the story that other people set up for you, you didn't need to be here. I always think about that. Like once you get too much into some other story or some other thing or a framework that's not you, you didn't need to be here. It's it's sort of like you know, let's say there's an audience member watching a show. You you can't you can't replace the performer on stage, but you can replace somebody else could sit in your seat. So I don't want to be living a life where somebody else could sit in my seat uh, and it wouldn't make a difference. But you want to be to your stage. You want to be on your stage. I think what you're saying here is brilliant, but it's also a frame of reference, uh -huh. right? Because everybody has the place where they have the strength. Right. So in your metaphor, there's uh -huh. the person on stage that's irreplaceable. Right. Now, a lot of the people in the audience might be thinking, oh, I wish I was him. I wish I got to do what he was. I don't want to be replaceable. I want to be that guy. Uh -huh. But how much of that is it because it's really what you're meant to be doing? And how much of it is because of some kind of pressure that was put upon you by your family or society or that you put upon yourself that doesn't really belong to you? Right. When you try and put yourself into a place that's not yours, right. you'll never be successful. Right. However, if you can step back from all those expectations that others put upon you that you put about yourself, right. and you can recognize your true value, you're irreplaceable right. somewhere in your life. Right. And if you allow yourself to do that, I like that somewhere then in you your always life. have value to bring. Right. There's a specific category where you are, it's your thing. You, f you float through that. There's other categories where there's all kinds of friction for you, and it doesn't feel good. You just feel like this is off. And those things you have to automatically adjust. Nope, nope, I go over there. And you have to put all your effort to try to get into where you're flowing smoothly. Yeah. You have to, like, just dodge anything that's not your thing, I think. Go straight to, okay, I like doing this in this way with these people or this area, this, while still looking at the world so you don't disregard it. So easy to get dis distracted. Right. Right? By all the shiny things out there. Yeah. But it's important to remember what's yours. And to right. allow yourself what, to, to have what's yours and allow other people to have what's theirs. Right. Yeah, letting them have what's theirs. So it's not like you're tearing their building down, as I heard a quote person say, but you, they can build their building, you build your building. There's multiple buildings in this wonderful city. That's yeah, some neat stuff. 100%. Yeah, that's cool. Now, what, now, where, what do you think led to the personality you have today? Was it, is, was it from your youth? That it was like, bang, I'm already there? Or were there certain features that guided you in this direction? Did you already have this when you were four? It's very funny that you asked me that. I go specific. Yeah. So actually, I thought it was four, but I found that it was two. Oh, my. <laughs> so That's what cool. So this is interesting. Isn't it interesting that just happened to me a I couple I don't remember of anything from when I was two, by the way. Just one <laughs> I don't remember it either, but it was okay. reflected to me. Oh, cool. So a couple days ago, less than a week ago, um, I think I got some messages from my kindergarten teacher. I grew up in Toronto. Oh, cool. And so my kindergarten teacher, I don't know why she reached out to me. Like every few years she'll reach out. Like I talk to her once in a while. It's funny. We reconnected after like 20 years. And then since then we talk every once in a while. But she reached out That's to neat. me and she wrote, she wrote to me basically that I didn't realize this, but right before I had joined the kindergarten, uh -huh. She lost her son. Her son passed away. Okay. And that, and she lost the will to live or do anything when that happened to her. Oh, right before you started going as a kindergartner. Yeah. Huh. So she, she lost her son. She lost her will to live. She lost her will to work, to do anything. And she, she tells me that when I came to her class, 
there's something that she saw in my eyes, oh. a spirituality, a depth, or whatever it was that she felt that she could like help add value to my life, and that having me in her class gave her a reason to wake up every day and come to work and live. Wow. And she literally says that I saved her life. I was two years old, <laughs> right? So this is, this is a crazy kind of concept yes. because we're running around our whole lives looking how, well, what can I do? How can I be valuable? What do I need to do to feel that I can actually help people or do something or that I matter or that people look at me or that people will give me attention and all of that. Meanwhile, I was too, I couldn't do anything. I wasn't even that mindset. Look, I just want to point out, we don't know. At one and a half, he might have been thinking those things. What can I do? What, how, what, what value can I bring? And then at two, he did. Could be. Who knows? <laughs> right. So the idea was that, that sort of like remind me of this idea that it's just our beingness. There's something about our essence right. in and of itself that adds value. And, we, and so if we can like distill that essence and bring it into any situation, it can be framed as work that we do. Right. We have to remember that it's our essence that adds value. It's not about an achievement of a particular goal. Right. Because that will always leave us empty. We can achieve a goal, and the second we achieve it, it's not enough. We need to look for the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Right. So we're always relying on something external to ourselves for our happiness. And if we can switch from that state into a state, from a state of achievement to a state of beingness, right. of recognizing we're already there, right. then we get to be satisfied and happy and fulfilled all the time. Right. But it's not an easy shift. Yes. That one part about the external... It's easy to see if anybody looks at it. Anytime you go for like a, this thing will make me all right, people can see this. They just have to look at two or three examples where they got to that. Then they're like, oh, that. They got to that. They're like, oh, that. That was. It. You already have like three examples of whatever that was that it wasn't enough. Like you thought that was enough and it wasn't. And then you thought like at some point you're like, wait a minute. Maybe I'm already good and then uh, these things are just over there. Yeah, and that's... Um it's actually the, the culture today and what's expected, especially in the Western world, uh -huh. is we're in an achievement culture. Right. Right? Respect the hustle. Hashtag respect the hustle. Hashtags. Right? It's all about, it's all about like we put a lot of value on working and grinding and stretching ourselves thin to make a place for ourselves under the sun. Right. We overwork ourselves for that. I'm not saying that we don't have to do anything. Right. What I'm saying is that if we're pushing so hard against the world to just to carve our own space, we're probably not in the right place. Right. That friction. There's something, because what our essence is, there's something that we're so good at uniquely that if we focus on that, it would be effortless for us. Yeah. And when you find what that thing is, it's bliss. I, I spoke to someone yesterday or the day before. Mm hmm. And she was telling me that she lived her whole life in difficulty trying to find her thing. And, and the moment that she found it, her life became effortless. Which doesn't mean that we don't have challenges sometimes or, or difficulties sometimes. But things just went into flow and shifted in every aspect of her life. Her money and everything just suddenly flew in because she found her place. And I think that each one of us has that opportunity. I am with that. It's, it's like the 80-20 principle or like... It's the majority principle. Once you find that thing, other stuff, side stuff, don't worry. That'll be taken care of. You can delegate it or figure out a thing. But your thing, and people want you to be doing your thing too. They can sense it. They'll tell you once in a while, like, you are that. You're good at this. A lot of times, like, I have a 
funny feature at times. So many people within like 30 seconds of meeting them, they're like, are you a comedian? So I've done a little stand-up comedy and other stuff. And they're basically, they're not saying, are you a comedian? They're saying, you are a comedian. Like, I find you. Or sometimes I'd be outlandish and they'd be like, are you a salesman? What they're basically saying is, you are a salesman. You're basically doing what a salesman would do. People tell you that. What are things people have told you in that category? Well, it's funny. So I'll get to that in a second. But mm -hmm. first of all, right. you're more than all of that. Right? You're not Thank a comedian you. and a salesman and all those things. You have comedic skills right. and sales skills. Right. And everything that you're good at, there's a reason for it. But the combination of all those things, that's super unique. And that's just you. It's just who you are. Right. The whole package. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that people have told me, it's funny because I had a lot of resistance to, to hearing these things a lot of the time. But the truth is their truth. I've always been a good teacher. Teacher. Yeah, I've always been a good teacher and a good entertainer. Uh -huh. So the way that I teach has always been very entertaining and very simple. I can take very complex concepts and communicate them in a very simple way that anyone can understand. Mm. And I taught kids for years, so that made sense. That's cool. Yeah, because kid, I, and I taught kids really complex um, subjects, social, emotional education, in a really deep level, uh. spirituality, on a really deep level. But I made it simple for them. And I think that simplicity is the key. So that's. One of my skills is this ability to speak, to teach, to convey information in a clear and simple, understand way, and uh -huh. to do and entertaining. Uh -huh. um, and I have an intuition around people. It's not like I'm psychic and can see the future. Maybe one day, but for now, um, but for now, I can usually in short interactions with people, see what's going on for them, see where their blind spots are, see where they have some opportunity for growth for what they're looking for and help them find that and diffuse that in a very short time in a very powerful way. Mm. In that category, when you have had clients you have worked with in the category of personal development or spiritual teaching, what are some of the main things that uh, you have run into as issues they had or things that were stopping them from attaining calm or self-awareness yeah that's a great question and I'll come back to that in a second but I'm sort of going to preface that by saying that I see a problem in the world of personal development and spirituality mm -hmm. that a lot of times what happens is that the, that it, what you hear a lot in the world is you have to break your ego overcome your ego you have to change if you don't change then you won't grow um that there's all these things that are wrong with you and if you fix them then you'll be okay and then you'll have what you want right and there's a lot of and all of those things really create a lack of self-acceptance and self-love because even though the intention is to help you they're saying like you're, you're not good enough right what's now. wrong with you exactly yeah. I'm constantly finding what's wrong with you and when, when you're constantly looking what's wrong with you your self-esteem is diminished and when your self-esteem is diminished you lose your power to create and so I find that when you ask me what's the issue that I see a lot is that people on the path of personal development and spirituality often have destroyed themselves along the way and they lost touch with their power, lost touch with their desire, and lost touch with their ability to create change and it's because they think that there's something wrong with them. And so my focus on people is to help them see themselves as perfect to understand that the way they're created with all of their desires, that there should be no shame, no guilt, 
around any of those things, that there's nothing to change. It's more about self-acceptance and self-love in order to build that self-confidence, in order to create that power so that they can create what they want. Mm -hmm. And I think that that approach to personal development is what's really going to help people grow in a more powerful way. Yeah. I think about that sometimes. If, if you think, um, I have to correct these things that are wrong with me, you're telling your subconscious, these things are wrong with me, a.k.a. I'm not great. And so how is your self-esteem going to be there? You're telling yourself, I'm not great. And then you're like working off of that after the fact. It's like a slight motivator, but off of a poor base. And then you're not going to be like strengthened. It's actually the lowest form of motivation. It's fear-based motivation. Oh, yeah. And when we have a fear-based motivation and away from motivation, we need to have the fear very close to us to be motivated. So what we're doing subconsciously is constantly attracting the things that we're afraid of into our life because that's what motivates us. Right. So we can never get away from them, which is crazy. It's self-defeating. Right. So that's the problem with that type of approach to personal development. Yeah. Whereas if we have it towards motivation, right. and it's more that like we're... It's a step in the right direction, which right. is moving towards the things we want. That's going towards goals, which we talked about. Yes. But there's an even higher level of motivation around that, which is the motivation that's self-created, not from anything external. It's self-created because of our deep alignment with who we are. Yeah. Right. I, I noticed you mentioned fear, and I always, I'm very focused on, I'm like highly attuned to people's fears, like things that... They won't talk to certain people or things they won't say about themselves. Sometimes people, they won't tell me uh, realities about themselves unless like one person is drunk or one person is uh, like in a tired state or something. And then they'll start telling the truth because they're too worried about how it comes across or they won't talk to strangers. Are you attuned to people's fears? How much do you notice fear? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that when people are tired or drunk, you know, and their walls sort of drop down, they can be a little bit more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the love approach yeah. to personal development is really important. Because when you create a safe space, a space of love, a space where they feel they can open up, that's right. when the vulnerability opens up. And then they're okay with sharing their fears. And some people are conscious of their fears and they'll share it openly. And right. some people aren't quite there and they don't see it. And that's where I help elicit it out of them. To sort mm -hmm. of see, like, what are these... Again, another way, you know, to think about it is, like, what are these sandbags that are holding them back? What are the things that are holding on to that don't sandbags. serve them? Like, right, if we have, like, a hot air balloon, you can try and pump it full of hot air. Right. It's not going to go anywhere unless you cut off the sandbags. So we're carrying all this immense weight on our shoulders that we don't need to be. This weight of having to change, this weight of what's wrong with us, this weight of our past guilt and shame that we carry our whole life. Yes. And when we learn to let go of those things, then we can soar. Mm -hmm. And so I help people see what are the sandbags that they're holding on to sometimes. Right. Yeah. In order to, this is a slight segue, but in order to attain a state of calm to understand that meditation is a way, do you do any meditation? Is something I'm checking here. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I, I've had a love-hate relationship with meditation mm -hmm. for my life. It's always something I thought maybe I should do that. Yep. And if you can listen to the fact that I said should, right. I was already I was in the wrong state of mind. Right. Because I don't think we should be shitting all over ourselves. <laughs> but um, 
I always thought I should do it, but it was always hard for me. Yeah. It was very hard for me to sit down even for five minutes. I would close my eyes. I would pass out or become impatient. It was very, very difficult for me. Right. About two years ago, uh-huh. I decided to take it on as a practice. Uh-huh. And I started shifting the way I thought about it, and I started seeing the value in it. Yes. And it took a little bit of discipline at the beginning, but now it's become something that I love. And actually, I seek all kinds of different types of meditation to learn different approaches to it. People think meditation is like one thing. There's a lot of different types of meditation. There's a lot of ways to meditate. And right. I think that there's a way that can be right for anyone. Right. If you allow yourself to sort of like go out there. But it's, it's, it's been really valuable for me because what meditation has allowed me to do is to connect more to myself, my desires, my soul, my intuition, what I want to connect to. And that helps me become clearer about what's right for me. And so I don't need something external to tell me. Right. That makes sense. One thing that comes to mind, I don't actually meditate, but I did a few times. It's the greatest thing. I like what I call closed eyes time. It's really relaxing because sometimes I take in too much stimulus. And then uh, when you close your eyes, suddenly there's less. And I feel like it takes a lot of your brain's processing power. So I like to keep that low. Completely segue, but that's how I roll. This is the, it's near the end of the year onward to the next year do you have any uh, goals for the ending of the year and or what uh, goals in the next year specific to any categories that are vital yeah absolutely um, something I've been giving a lot of thought to for whatever reason in my life yes I've always been put in a lot of role of authority of being the teacher Friends call me guru, which is just he's funny. a guru. Okay, I I'm just not a guru. No, 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 this no. man, no, 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 no. He's no. not Let's a guru. Not Don't get it twisted. No. He's not a guru. No, but it's funny that I've always sort of been pushed into that role, and something that I always sort of a part of me knows that I have influence and ability to help people, but at the same time, I don't like the guru mentality. I don't like the mentality of following someone else. So it's this constant, like weird kind of struggle that I, I go through personally. Uh huh. But. I realized the pressure that I put on myself of how I show up everywhere because how people perceive me. So I feel like I put a lot of pressure on myself to be a certain way. And I I know that that's a little bit out of line with actually what I believe. It creates a bit of inauthenticity of me because I have to show up as a certain person instead of just showing up as myself. And what's been helping me to switch that is to put myself in more places where I get to be the student. And so I'm going to explore a lot of things that are outside of, like meditation was that for me, to explore something that I wasn't very strong at. Yeah. So, I always, so I'm looking at things that are interesting to me, but yeah. I'm not very knowledgeable or strong about, to explore that, to put myself in a role of student, yeah. to put myself in a role of someone who's experiencing, and that gives me a lot of perspective. And that's uh, a lot of what I want to do in the next year, is to put myself more in that role and also for myself and also for the ability to be able to share that with others. I'm a, I see myself as a collector of experience. I love trying different things. Mm-hmm. I love traveling. I love seeing different things, eating different foods, meeting different people, trying different modalities of personal development without having to sort of define myself by any of them. And so that's uh, what I plan to do more in the next year. Like I said, for myself, for my own personal growth, and at the same time, uh-huh. um, to be a resource for others on their path. Right. Yes. I like that concept of 
going back to being a student because I've noticed that when there's times where you become the not guru okay but something representative then now when you go to those things and if you go to that too much in that position what about you now like I get it it's influential to others but now you're not doing your thing that probably got you there the growth and the trying and the risk-taking so it is nice to if it's too much of that okay everybody pause I'm gonna go back to what I like doing take a risk meet people variety something where I'm learning again that's how I got here if you give up the things that get you there it starts to be a shaky foundation and now you're just sitting there like am I a guru joke it's not, no, no no it's true and it's a problem because this is what happens to people and it's part of the problem with another problem with the spirituality and personal development world I have a, a few problems with them you probably know few problems okay and another problem is that the leaders there they lose touch with reality because oftentimes they're deified and if not deified at least put on a really high pedestal yeah as the people who've done it, the people in whose shoes you're walking. And so what happens is that, first of all, it disempowers you as a student of it. And second of all, it creates for them uh, a, a real issue because they're surrounded by people who are constantly not checking them, you know, not, checking, not putting them in their place. So they think that they're amazing and right. they start believing it. And, they, and psychologically, they become incapable of incorporating constructive criticism. Right. And so they... They say, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. So they become corrupt. Right. They become disconnected from their teachings. They don't walk the talk. Right. And and then they become like worse than they ever were. So it's really, really problematic. I've seen this in a lot of organizations. If you take a look, look at the people who are being deified and really think about have this has this person actually changed? If you look objectively, it's very unlikely. And so and and have they changed and are they still changing others or is it more about growing the organization? And so I think that that problem exists. So I think it's always important to check yourself. And that's why I uh, have as one of my values to always be a student. Yeah. Whenever you hit some sort of plateau, uh, you can feel it as people, whether it's in fitness or it's in your career or it's uh, social risk taking or whatever category, you are no longer touching reality uh i once asked i met you know gary vaynerchuk business guy so i met him one time and there was like a moment to ask him a question so i asked him like do you feel like you're touching reality more than most people but i asked him in a confusing way so he was confused but he's like it's just intuitive something like that but i've noticed anybody who is touching the pulse of reality in some category they're good but the minute they stop touching, if they're socializing people or if it's uh, reading books, it's the number of books or authors or whatever it is, now they start getting in this dangerous space where they had some before. It's like a lagging indicator of the past. And then soon enough, uh, they're not. And then they don't have a base. And then it starts to break down. And it's not motivating. And they know it. Everybody gets that feeling like, wait a minute, am I, am I still doing my thing? Have I been pushing hard no and then uh, people will still be nice to you and say great things about you for a bit but you can't go off of that you have to go off of your inner feeling of am I am I getting experience yeah huh that's a cool guy by the way do you are there any people you follow in some form or check their stuff or uh, read from regularly anything like that yeah it's a great question and um I would generally say that most of the things that I read or look at or learn has been more recently from people that nobody knows. 
so I try and find like some kind of local classes with people. You know, I think that that we can learn from everybody, uh-huh. and I don't want to be oversaturated by the general information that exists out there because that creates too many like thought bubbles of right. like too much like thinking. So I like to learn from. I really just feel people out, and if I feel I have something to learn from them, I'll go and I'll learn from them. And a lot of times, they're just people that nobody knows. There are some big thinkers that I like. I do like uh, Jordan Peterson. I like listening to him a lot. And part of it is because of what he talks about that I agree with. And I don't agree with everything. But what I really like about him, more than what he's saying, or more than what he thinks about, is how he thinks about what he's thinking about. When you hear him in an interview, it's almost like he comes in not knowing exactly what he's going to say. He's just very knowledgeable so he has a lot to say but what happens is when he's you, you notice this sometimes about him when he's challenged with something that he that he hasn't thought about truly through completely he won't just blurt out some kind of bullshit you see him pause you see him think and then he sort of formulates an answer and if he can't then he'll say well i don't know en- enough about this to give you a whole answer i'll give you what i know but i'll have to go and hit the books and think about this a little bit more so i res- what i respect about him some people you know like the left likes to say that he's a conservative and the right likes to say that he's a liberal. And Labels. Like, everybody's like, no, he's an independent thinker, you know, and he, he and he thinks for himself and he creates his own thought about any one thing that he's talking about. He talks about a lot of things, politics and religion and um, philosophy and psychology. He has a lot of things to talk about, but you can tell he's an independent thinker. So what I respect about him even more than the things he says, a lot of which are valuable, uh-huh. are how he think is how he thinks about what he comes to terms with. So that's what I really like about him. Huh. Yeah. I have I like that feature. I don't know if that's metacognition or like thinking in the moment, but I am with that because it's like there's you can see the person there as opposed to it's some autopilot response. And like a hope that like you don't question the person on it. Like let's just move forward because I don't actually want to think or use my prefrontal cortex for any of this because that would take too much effort and glucose in my brain. Yeah, I like I like critical thinkers. I feel like critical thinkers are one of the last minorities. You know, if we have all kinds of different minorities, they're like the ones for like 2060. They'll come, or 2140. They'll come together as a group and be like. We were the minority. Uh. You see it coming. Uh, and these are some of the things that the cr- few critical thinkers are talking a lo- about a lot now. Yeah. Because what happens is, what's happening now, if you notice in our politics and in general, is we're becoming um, very marginalized. We're becoming very polarized, actually, is what I meant to say. We're becoming very polarized in our thought. The left has gone further left and the right has gone further right. And this is because of cognitive dissonance. And that's because people won't agree to talk to each other. And it's become a lot of thought policing on both sides. Right. If you don't agree with me, you're not uh. a part of me. <laughs> and you have to believe exactly what I say, exactly what the group says, in order to be a part of it. Uh-huh. And so this creates more and more polarization. And the people who are critical thinkers, this is what happens. You don't fit in with the group, you'll be left out of the group. And that's why you're saying they're like a minority. But then you see they're starting to come together. Right. But what might be scary is... That that'll become the next group, because anything you gotta be careful. Sure. You gotta always measure. But like critical thinking, in a way, it, as long as it stays true to critical right, thinking, right, it'll right. be fine. But it could be like we're the critical oh, yeah, thinkers, yeah. and then that becomes a group. And this is how you critical <laughs> think. This is how you think critically, and we put rules on things and structure on things. Right. Structure is necessary, yeah. but structure also 
makes creates limitations and you lose individuality. Right. So so that's like I think that a lot of groups thought that they were the critical thinkers of their time, right? That's a good point. Like the Marxists thought that they were critical thinkers of the time and then they became Marxist yes. communists. It became like a became a movement. And that's how everything starts and that's normal. It starts with critical thinking. You have Abraham, the father of monotheism. He's like, oh, I think maybe there's just one God. He's the first guy that thought that. And then a bunch of other people started following him. And then it became a group. And then it became a religion. Then it became two religions. Then it became three religions that came out of him. Boom. And each one with their like idealized thought. Right. And it became grouped again. It's like, well, this is what we believe. And if you don't believe this, you're not a part of us. Right. So it's, that's like normal for us to do as a group. And every organization, every personal development, spiritual organization, religious organization, business, nonprofit, political party, sports team, every group does this. Right. You're with us or you're with You're them. with us or against us. Where's the middle? Where's the this? No, no, no. We don't have middle or gray or you have some thoughts of this and this. We can't support that because that takes too much mental processing. Yeah, but at some point because of efficiency and lowering entropy, we want to have your this. You want to have a system. Yeah. It makes sense. Systems are necessary. That's why I'm saying that we just got to be careful about it. We got to be careful about how we approach things because we want to be able to have community and connection without in losing our individuality. Right. That's that's what's going to bring value. A community that values individuality. On the topic of communities, what are some communities you have been part of in your life? So I was part of a, a part of the reason why I why this matters to me so much was because I was part of a repressive. A spiritual organization for the majority of my life. Repressive. What is, what? What, what does that mean? Repressive is like um, almost cult-like. Like, oh. Yeah. Not not like a not like a oh, Jonestown level yeah, yeah. cult with like everyone committing suicide together. Right. But it definitely had some <laughs> markers of a cult. Is that a cult that happened? Jonestown. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was Dang. here in Los Angeles. You know that Los Angeles is the cult capital of the world. I didn't know that. Yeah, it makes sense. By the way, we have uh, Scientology's headquarters Which, are here. Gosh, their building is huge. Yeah, the uh, Children of God was here. Now they have a new name, and oh. like, like nobody knows, but they were like that was the cult that uh, the Phoenix family, like River Phoenix and Joaquin Phoenix, were part of. This is the headquarters of marketing. If there's anything connected to cults, it's marketing and marketing like, and spiritualities. There's a, right. L.A. has a high value on spirituality, on the concept of yes. spirituality. Right. Right? How it's executed is not always great. Right. So I was part of one of these organizations for uh -huh. the majority of my life. Oh. And I taught in it and I became, you know, like even somewhat of a leader in it. I did a lot of, I added a lot of value. And the truth is that it was valuable to me because it gave me purpose. But the purpose was external. And when I, dis when I realized that it wasn't healthy and I was strong enough to leave it, um, it created for me a void. A void of purpose and understanding. I didn't know who I was. My whole self was wrapped up in this place that I was a part of for 25 years. 25 years, folks. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, um, and so the process of discovery of myself is the process that I've been on since then. And it's the process that I like to lead people through as well. I think that that's the value. And so that's an organization I was a part of. And then I went and I studied other things. But I noticed myself every time I was like, wait, wait, I'm going to leave this one organization to just be defined by another one. Right. And I know that that's not what I want. So I'll learn in different things, but I'll be very careful not to um, not to take on a new ideology and claim it as my own. I want to create my own unique path. I want to carve my own unique path. I want to have what I call spiritual independence instead of spiritual codependence is what usually happens. Right. One thing about that, I always 
think about like knowing about what's going on while it was happening uh how did how did you progress through while you were in that organization the feeling of this might be repressive over time like wait a minute is this good did you know the whole time or when did that start showing up in your mind yeah i did i did not know that the whole time um as a kid i was sort of very individualistic it's funny because a lot of the things that i'm helping people become today but i lost a lot of myself as part of the organization because it added value to me in other ways um in the last few years in the organization, I was seeing more and more of the problems there from an organizational standpoint and leadership standpoint, some of the corruption that was happening there. And so I, sorry about that. So I started seeing those problems, but because I still saw the organization as a greater good, I tried to fix the problems from the inside Yes. for years. And then I realized that they're not really looking to improve or fix or change. They weren't open to it. And so then I thought I would stay there to support the, my fellow community but eventually, there was like an, a perfect storm of a few things in my life that led me to let go of some of my negative belief systems and the things that I thought were helping me. And then I, and I saw how many of the things that I learned there that I thought were helping me were, and that maybe at a certain point did help me, now became repressive to me because, again, it switched the focus from me to how I can bring more people, to how I can help, to how you can share, how you can do more for them instead of what you get for yourself and instead of my personal growth. And so I saw this problem and I saw it, the problem in a lot of people around me that they they re really weren't getting the things they came there for, but they were blind to it as well. And it just got to a breaking point where I my soul wouldn't let me continue there any longer. Like I was, like I, I literally couldn't go any longer. And... Um, that's when I decided to leave and actually speak out about it. And it happened pretty drastically uh, from one day to another. Um, but I've never felt as free in my whole life huh. since I've done that. Yeah. I like that from the inside, the progression, it's like you're there and then you notice there's issues. And then you're like, I'm going to solve these issues from the inside. And then you're like, wait a minute, you don't even want to solve these issues. It's part of it. Which I've noticed that trend whenever I had like an issue with a friend or something. At some point I'm like, something's off. And then you're like, you want to fix it. And then you realize, wait a minute, they wanted it to be that way. There's a bigger issue than me just solving it. And then you start to think uh, like an exit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a response to that. And then you spoke out against them. And did that go all right? I spoke out not specifically against them, uh, although it's also... Uh, but it was, I spoke out generally as well specifically, but I spoke out generally about the problem, like I told you, the problem in the spiritual industry, in the personal development industry, but yes. the problems that I see. So that's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. I just have to comment on this real quick. Okay, I'm tossing this in there. Yusuf over here, okay? Concern for life. We are in a place and he saw a baby near an electrical outlet child young person and went over and be like you can't play by that just now that happened this stuff uh, I just want to say is representative of a person he didn't have to do that he could have been like good luck or something but that's a nice feature towards humanity usually the response to younger people children or kids is representative of love of life something like that I just have to include that there representative back to you <laughs> I like Yosef in that response. 
It's all right. No, I, mean, I think that's a basic, like, yeah. uh, human thing to do. Um, okay. Baby with her finger in a light socket. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, so where were we at? We were discussing how this podcast is ranked number one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> joke, joke. Okay. No, you were describing uh, speaking out against the, the yeah, organization. So the and thing then is, I mean... There's the story of what happened there, yeah. but it's bigger than the story. It's yes. not about my story or what happened there or what was going on there. It's a bigger problem that exists in the world, that we're constantly looking for someone to tell us how to live our life, right. to tell us how we connect to God, to tell us how we connect to ourselves, to tell us what will make us happy. Yes. And it's only us taking responsibility for our own personal spiritual path, which is really going to lead us there. And it's okay to learn from other people and read other books and listen to gurus or whatever. Yes. It's fine to do all of those things. But don't let them lead your life. Nobody can lead you. Be your own guru, you know? Right. Be your own person. It, yeah, I noticed this. If someone's too much watching through someone else's eyes or they're always tied to some celebrity or some individual, it, it starts to look weird after a while. Like, where well, are like, you? So who is the... Take some of like the very well-known spiritual paths, like Buddhism, right? Yeah. Who is the only person in the history of Buddhism to become enlightened? That would be the famous, let's see, Buddhism, I forgot the name. Buddha. Buddha, okay. <laughs> right? I'm Buddha good at this stuff, I just want to point no, out. That's okay, Buddha I'm got enlightened expert. through Buddhism, and who got enlightened through Christianity? That is the famous Jesus. That's right, Jesus, I got it. right? Right, because it's like, it's like he's the one that like everyone looks up to, like he's the one who's the savior right. for everyone, right? And it's like that in basically every path that you see. Oh, this is a good The person point. who founded the path is right. the person who gained enlightenment through the path, and everyone else is just trying to follow their footsteps. But guess what? Nobody's ever going to find point. enlightenment in a path that they didn't create. Yeah. And I think that what the leaders of these organizations and these paths, were, they weren't trying to find a following. Jesus wasn't a Christian, uh-huh. right? Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. Right. There were people who were trying to create change in the in, in status quo that they saw. Jesus right. was Jewish, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, technically, but what he was right. really saying was, hey, like... This is a great point. We, you're not going to see this anywhere. And then Christianity was built around him because we're looking for, for gurus. Right. And, and Buddhism was built around Buddha because we're looking for someone to lead. But they aren't the ones that built that. Right. Right? And so the idea is, what's your movement? What's the, what's the spiritual path that you carve out for yourself? Right. You know, and I think that each one of us have to do it for ourselves. Like they did it for themselves, right? And they shared about it because we want to share our value. But don't let, don't let yourself idealize anyone, and try not to have your let yourself be idolized by anyone either. Right. Both of those create a stoppage. It's hard to fight that, but it, it happens. Right. But you know, you try your best. Right. They both create a stoppage of progress because one is you're looking up at and you don't do as much because you're like, oh, should I go? And I go toward their path, which is not yours. Or if you're the one that they're idolizing, now you start to maybe get comfortable, not do as much. Why do I need to progress? People already are my followers. Yeah, nobody mentions these things. Who's going to mention this in a church or something like, we follow this guy, but what about you and you and you and your movement that you're... It's not going to happen. It's very focused on that. That's a great point. Movements. Some people do a lot of networking and stuff through these uh, churches and whatnot, too. That's kind of cool. What? Now, this is a... Uh, I like to always include this one. If you had one message, like a sentence, that you would say to all people of the earth that would describe what you, what you would want them to know, what would that sentence be? Besides, besides my quote, the quote that I like? Yes. Can't yeah. be the quote. Okay. That was from someone else. No, no. Okay, so this, is, this actually came to me right here in the same cafe that we're sitting here. I was sitting with a friend, and we were talking about things. Mm-hmm. 
and it sort of just came to me, and I've been using it ever since. Mm -hmm. It's what's meant for you will be for you when you are who you're meant to be. I'll repeat that. What's meant for you will be for you when you are who you're meant to be. When you allow yourself to be who you're meant to be, then you will have the life that's meant for you, and that's the ideal lifeline for you. Yeah. That flow lifeline, that effortless lifeline, that thing where everything works out, but you have to allow yourself to be who you are to get there. Yeah, and you have an internal thing telling you. It keeps telling you. It's like, you're this. Just do that. And it's so easy. It's your thing. Yeah. That's some cool stuff. Now, some light material here. What is? How are your thoughts on such episode and being on a podcast? And do you have any comments on me as a entity? <laughs> well, I, I think it's... <laughs> listen, I just met you now. So this right. is... I would just want to, this is a great example, uh -huh. uh, you're a great example of intentionality. I'll tell you why. Yay! Intentionality is allowing yourself to have and act towards it, right? So it's not desire, it's allowing yourself to have what's yours and taking a step in that direction. And that's the way that I've seen you, right? Like two days ago, Yeah. Um, was it two days ago or yesterday? Two days ago. Two days, two days ago, you met my friends. Yeah. Yesterday, she told me uh, that, she to that she told you about me and that we should talk. Yes. Uh, she asked me for permission to give you my number. I gave her the permission. Yeah. You contacted me right after she did that. Yes. We booked this within a day. Yes. And as soon as I sat down, I thought we are just going to talk about what we're going to talk about. And right. instead of talking about what we're going to talk about, we're just talking about what we're talking about. Right. You know, we're talking yes. about it. We're doing it. Yeah. And so you don't leave any space for doubt and that monkey mind to, to tell you what's the right way to do things. Like, oh, you can't have a podcast in a cafe. There's a blender going on beside <laughs> us. No, you're going to be like, hey, we're going to make this happen. Right. And I'll phase out as much noise as I can. Yeah. And just do it impromptu. And you're just 100% true to yourself. Right. And that's intentionality. And I love that you're doing that. I am very with that, by the way. I am the person he is describing in that part. Shout-outs to myself. <laughs> you know, I... This is... And that I'm with that. And yes, because... Whoop-dee-doo, you know, Blender. Something is being created, maybe, or other. But, uh, you know, I've noticed... Later on, I never look back like, Oh, this detail, this detail. But I will look back if it didn't occur. Yeah. I'm looking back like there was a blank space. And not like Taylor Swift, because that's an actual song, blank space. This one is an empty space where nothing occurred and you can't go but I can't all go back to 2006 or 12 or whatever thing and be like I'm gonna you can't so I don't like that feeling I'd rather I tried if it didn't work out it's not on me anymore that's a great point that's cool this is wonderful and this is not the first podcast you've been on you have been on one other yeah um, my friend uh, Richard Olberger he's a psychologist mm -hmm. and he has a He's got a great podcast called Richard Listens, mm -hmm. and uh, he's usually a sports psychologist, but he also does other types of psychology, and he has all kinds of interesting people. So I was on his podcast um, as well, and I've done some other ones with some coaches, and um, back in the day, I did one in Spanish about <laughs> this organization that I was working with. And, Can you uh, speak Spanish? Uh, más o menos un poco. Oh, my gosh. Tengo que practicar más, pero... No confluencia, see. Who is this man? Okay, Joe. I, I learned no. I learned Spanish. Um, I think I have a past life in Latin America or something because oh. I'm Canadian, so that's super right. gringo. But I just connect to the language, yeah. Right. That's some cool stuff. 
Shout out to Canada. A warm, a warm nation, like a cold nation, but a warm nation. Yes, a, a cold nation full of warm people. That, that combo. That is wonderful. I am glad to have had you on this episode, episode 199 of the podcast. Thanks for being on here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And we are out. <laughs>